Joining us from uh, Northfield School District is Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. Matt, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in today. Always great to be here, Jeff. Great Tuesday morning, downtown Northfield. It's Fat Tuesday. It's Fat Tuesday, you got it. Yeah, you bet. And it's Mardi Gras. Rich gave me an education on the the whole uh, Mardi Gras thing earlier this morning, for which I am uh, grateful. Well, you know, we're grateful for how Rich, you know, helps... Uh, improve all of our understanding of just life in general so you know <laughs> Boy, must, that, must be nice to have him around here that rich he's just as good he's the wikipedia of kymn <laughs> let's talk about the school board he has school board meeting last night and we'll, we'll start off with uh you had a lot of i guess announcements or recognitions celebrations, yeah. celebrations uh, last night we really did and and uh you know to start off um February, uh, we are recognizing a number of things. It's Black History Month. It's I Love to Read Month, but it's also Minnesota School Board Recognition Month. And so um, the the community that we serve here uh, really benefits from the leadership and the vision of our school board members. And, you know, being a school board member is some work, right? You have to take into account a variety of different perspectives. Um, You are at a governance. This is a governance board, so they're not you know, making operational decisions, but they're doing the really hard work of taking what constituents share with them, thinking about their own uh, perspectives, and then helping set the course of the district for myself and our leaders and our teachers and our other staff to execute. And, you know, school board is just such a rewarding opportunity. So we're so grateful for our school board members and for all of you listening. If you know one of our school board members, please make sure you take time to thank them for their service. Um, it is something that is a lot more work than I think uh, might meet the eye, and so we're really grateful for their work. Um, we also recognized one of our school board members last night. <clears throat> Vice Chair Corey Butler uh, was recognized for um, with the MSBA Leadership Development Program certification, and what that means is Cor- uh, Corey successfully attended the all four phases of MSBA's, the Minnesota School Boards Association Leadership Series, Workshop Series. So there are four phases of that. And he completed all of them. And, you know, this is quite a bit of time uh, that's on top of their work and the other meetings that they have and personal and family commitments. But I think that that shows um, when our board members complete that leadership development program, it shows that commitment they have to our community to make sure that, you know, we have well-trained and excellent school board members. So congratulations to Corey. We appreciate his leadership and congratulate him uh, on receiving that certificate. Claudia Gonzalez-George just was recognized for that not too long ago as well. So we have a number of people on our board who have gone through that process, and uh, right now we're celebrating Corey. Yeah, and that is, uh, you, you'd mentioned, there's a lot of work that goes into that, and, and there's not a lot of money. There's a lot of reward, but that doesn't come as a monetary reward so much. Uh, so thank you, Corey, and everybody on the school board. Good work. Well, and when you think about it, um, we're talking about something that's so important and there's a lot of different perspectives on how to uh, implement and execute education. And so our board members do a great job of really listening to the community, taking all that feedback, and then setting the direction for the district. So we're very lucky here. You know, we hear of stories across the country of really dysfunctional school boards, and that is not what we have. We have the opposite here. We have an amazing school board that does just a great job with governance. So. Thanks to their work here in February and, of course, every month, but especially in February. And there was almost like a Mardi Gras parade worth of uh, recognitions. There was, yes. citations and such last night. We'll go through a few more. Okay. Uh, So we want to congratulate Northfield Middle School students Charles Schmelzer, Olivia Stebbins, and Cole Schramm. Those students uh, had advanced from our local spelling bee 
to the regional spelling bee in Rochester and uh, just did a great job. You know, you represent your school district in this uh, really important event uh, regionally, and we're just so proud of uh, Charles, Olivia, and Kale for uh, their great, uh, I think, is it orthography? Is that the term that we'd be looking at or something like that? <laughs> You're asking me I, that? I am. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> uh, just I, I think if you think about that, you know, it's just a healthy pressure, that spelling bee, right? You're given this task. You use the skills that you uh, have developed. And many times these are challenging words for these students, especially at the regional bee. So we're just so proud of those three students for their academic achievement and for representing us so well um, in the spelling bee. Good work. And we've had a couple of, you know, we've had a really successful um, athletics season so far, but two highlights today. Uh, some people, I, I someone asked me, hey, there was a fire truck leading a school bus back into town Saturday. What was going on there? Well, it was for our Highliners dance jazz team. So the Northfield Highliners, there, there's two um, events within uh, the dance competition within Minnesota State High School League Dance. One is jazz, and our team, coached by Jasmine Kotek, qualified for the state tournament for the first time in 17 years. And I, I just know everyone is thrilled with that. And those uh, uh, young athletes will have a chance to dance at All the right. Target Center on this Friday for the state championship. I understand that they dance in the kind of mid-afternoon, but I'm mm -hmm. sure that you'll have the time uh, on um, you know, on the website here. So uh, I know they're still finalizing some of that. I think it's just a little bit before 3 o'clock where I understand they're going to dance. So congratulations to the Highliners. That's just awesome. Hard work, incredible athletes, and uh, a lot of dedication to, to doing that work. So congratulations on advancing the state. And uh, as carried right here on KYMN Radio and Northfield Live, our Raider girls hockey team, uh, what an exciting finish. Overtime victory uh, versus Owatonna in the section semifinal uh, last week, and they now advance to the section championship. That's this Thursday versus Lakeville South. My understanding is that it's being played in Owatonna uh, at the arena there, and that's at 7.30 p.m. I'm guessing that that will be carried mm -hmm. right here on KYMN. You bet. What a, what a great game. That was an exciting game, a game that they probably could have and maybe should have lost, but they just willed, They just found the energy there late and kind of willed themselves to victory, and that's what good teams do. Well, that's we, how you win. We <laughs> saw that on Sunday night in the yeah, Super Bowl, right? I exactly. mean, not, not a perfect performance by the Kansas City Club by any regard, and at the same time, they uh, really, when, when they needed it, they pulled it out, and... I think the Raider girls, Raider girls hockey, Kansas City Chiefs, I think they're probably I think in the parallel. same category yeah, this year. You, so. you bet. That was a great game. So uh, best of luck to them. I think they're playing again when, uh, Thursday. Yes, Thursday, Thursday 7.30 so p.m. We'll and one. so yeah. we're excited for them for the chance to go to state as well. What a great season that they're having so far. Um, finally, the, the last of the parade of recognitions last night. Uh, this is pretty amazing. Um, Northfield High School seniors, uh, Sonia Burnell and Jackson Hessian, have been named National Merit finalists and so this is really rarefied air academically when you advance to this stage of the national merit scholarship competition so um, there are, you can become a commended student and then people can advance to become uh, a semi-finalist and then there is a process to confirm and, and become a national merit finalist and so you know there's only around 16,000 students in the entire country who earn that status and if you think about all of the school districts across the country in fact um, the Star Tribune regularly publishes how many students at each high school in Minnesota had a national merit uh, finalist, and you will notice that there's very few that even have one. 
Um, and so to have two is really great uh, academic uh, recognition for Jackson and Sonia, of course, and then for the school district as well. So congratulations to Sonia and Jackson. They have an opportunity to compete for, there's around 7,100 merit scholarships. And so they're now eligible uh, to be competing for those uh, funds. So the, what a great story. Congratulations to them and, and just a, a great reflection of the, their teachers and their parents and the school system that supported them. Yeah, good. Good work, both of them, yeah. Uh, once again, Superintendent of Schools, uh, Dr. Matt Hillman. Yeah, we've gone through, we've spent about 10 minutes going through recognitions and stuff. Are we done? Is, I, well, think I think there's like a parade. As a, for, for right now, that's what we've got more time when we come back in the next couple of weeks, but... Um, we'll leave it there for now. Okay, let's get into uh, the kind of the nuts and bolts of the meeting last night. Let's start off with uh, was it the operating uh, capital budget? Is that was that the first thing up? Yes. Yeah, so this time of year we start the budget parade. You know, our school district mm-hmm. budget runs from July first through June thirtieth. That's our fiscal year, and we uh, present the different budgets that the school district maintains over the next several meetings. Um, it is um, really ended with the general fund, which is the largest and most flexible, but we start with uh, the capital budget and also something that's called the long-term facilities maintenance budget. These two things are really around um, improving our facilities. It's about purchasing capital equipment. And so we start that process much earlier. The board heard the presentation last evening, and then they'll be asked to approve these two, the the budget and the long-term facilities maintenance plan at the next meeting. This is so that we can sign contracts and get processes going it's really a short time if you think about it from the last day of school to the first day of school. And so we really want our buildings and grounds team, our curriculum uh, folks, uh, the people in the technology department to have as much runway as they can to get you know equipment and the other kinds of things that they're going to be upgrading over the summer in right when school ends or just close to very after right after July 1st so that they can get everything up and rolling uh, before school starts next year. So uh, the operating capital budget is uh, a, a little bit healthier this year because we're really getting the benefit of the um, capital projects levy that was passed by the voters in 2022. So that's a really helpful piece. So capital, our capital budget comes from four revenue streams. It's operating capital from the state. Uh, there's a levy and aid formula. There's a lease levy that allows us to um, have some funding for a certain uh, leases that we would do as a school district. So, you know, the ice arena that we lease, um, you know, we also have used a, a lease levy purchase agreement um, for the um, an addition at, at Spring Creek Elementary School that was put up in 2009. We're just about done with that. Um, it also has the capital projects levy component to it, which our voters increased in 2022. And then the long-term facilities maintenance budget. And long-term facilities maintenance revenue is a stream of funding that school districts get from the state it's a calculation, a number of different pieces, one of which is the age of your buildings. That's a bill that was written uh, by, right here in Northfield, Senator Kevin Dahl, uh, high school social studies teacher. When Kevin was in the Senate, he was the chief author of this bill. And the concept behind the uh, long-term facilities maintenance revenue is to make sure that schools across the state have the funds to take care, to be good stewards of the facilities that the public has bought for them. And we'll share the, the difference in what you spend on capital and what you might spend on long-term facilities maintenance here um, in just a moment. There's some really restricted expenditures. It's, you know, we can only pay a very narrow group of salaries with this, and I can talk about that in just a moment. Um, Examples of the kinds of things that, you know, are coming forward um, in a a capital budget. So we're going to replace two um, 
older buildings and grounds, pickup trucks that also serve as snow plows. Uh, we're going to have a, a, dist- a, a gym curtain to divide the gymnasium at Spring Creek. We're going to uh, put a, a real sign for Bridgewater Elementary on uh, 246. As you know, we reversed the traffic there, which has really been helpful to traffic on Jefferson Parkway. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, Jeff, we still have people who will try to come in the old entrance, despite the big sign that says, <laughs> please go in on, on 246. So those are the kinds of things. We've got some networks. There's a lot of technology stuff, some network switches, um, a district firewall. We recently um, just had to invest in some additional cybersecurity software, as you've probably seen school districts across the country have really had some cybersecurity concerns. Thanks to our outstanding director of technology services, Nate Knudsen, we were in good shape, but we have seen the writing on the wall and that we needed a little bit more of a tool to be able to do some real-time monitoring of our network. So that will be part of it. So those are things that you see that there are things that we're purchasing. There's there's other things like computers and um, curriculum, you know, those kinds of things that come out of that budget. Long-term facility maintenance is just as important, but maybe isn't as exciting to our listeners. <laughs> so it's things like tuck pointing and caulking at Bridgewater and the middle school, 20 years old, 25 years old. Um, we need to take care of that exterior envelope of the building. So tuck pointing and caulking, you're repairing the mortar between the bricks, right? You're just making sure that water doesn't get in. So that's not really exciting stuff that a lot of people would, but you got to spend money on that so that you can extend the life of the facilities. Things like replacing the public address system at Spring Creek, um, resurfacing the, the, the pool at the middle school, we have to do that surface every so often to make sure that those student athletes and, and the st- other folks using the pool are safe. So uh, parking lots, replacing bathroom sinks, all not really you know super exciting things, but it's a, a good example of our stewardship and taking care of uh, the buildings and taking care of the equipment within the, uh, that we need to serve students. Let's let's talk about some of the buildings and what uh, you know. The big topic this year has been and will be uh, uh, potential uh, changes to the high schools, the physical structure of the high school, whether it be build a new one or uh, you know repair or add on to or or, or somehow alter the uh, current one. Uh, that has not been decided yet. But where where are you at in that process? Was that brought up last night? I'm 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 kind of assuming that's going to be brought up at every meeting uh, this year. Well, you know it, Jeff, uh, because we are about engaging the community and making sure that we're having a very thoughtful and deliberate process about how we even get to a point mm-hmm. of deciding what, if anything, to put on the November 2024 ballot. We started this process back in October. As you know, we've conducted uh, four building tours uh, culminating last weekend. We had fifty or two weekends ago on February 3rd, we had 55 people attend that last tour. It was awesome. Um, we took a tour of the new Owatonna High School again emphasizing that's not what we're suggesting we need, but we think it was important for the community to be able to see what does a new high school construction look like and compare uh, to the facilities that we have. We had a great public meeting, and, and Rich covered the meeting. I know he's talked about it here on the, on the station, but we estimate probably 50 to 60 people attended that meeting, uh, and we gave a presentation about what was the process that we were using. We gave examples of the different types of ways we could solve the problems that the board has identified exist in the high school facility. People then had a chance to go to small groups and with a board member or two in their room, everybody had an opportunity to share their advice for the board. What would you do in this situation? What would you suggest the board would do? They had a chance to say, these are the kinds of questions the board should answer for us. Then people came back to the auditorium. They had a chance to have a public comment style 
um, session where people could give up, get get up in front of uh, everyone at the assembly and uh, provide you know a two minute commentary so that everyone could hear what they had to say, and then the board reflected on what they heard right then and there. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of work around um, having some community engagement. We're not done. If you're listening, you know, please make sure that you engage. You can email me. You can email the board at board at northfieldschools.org. We want to hear what advice people have for us moving forward. Um, one of the key things that we heard um, at the uh, public meeting was, okay, you're considering all these options. Tell me exactly what it's going to cost me. And so um, obviously we had been thinking about that too. And so we have we did present last night some tax impact uh, of what these again very preliminary but we've been very methodical on how we've rolled this out Jeff total transparency making sure people know what we're thinking about um, what it will cost them what it will cost the entire community so uh, we laid out uh, six different uh, financial options last night they're not all of the options we could use they're examples they're where we're at right now in terms of just looking at what pathway we'd go through. And so um, you can get that information from our board packet. What we have learned when we look at the housing uh, environment in Rice County, we think that $350,000 is probably a representative home. It's not an average home, but it's a representative home. When you look at what's the median, what's the average, you know, you're looking at sale prices, you're, but we're really looking at what's what's the representative market value, if you will. So um, we have six different options ranging from you know, just under sixty million to around one hundred and seventy-six million. That one hundred and seventy-six million would be a brand new school on a new campus. If that was the direction we went, that lower end, that uh, just under sixty million, uh, would really be for uh, just addressing the issues uh, at the high school that we have right now in terms of, you know, some renovation in place, addressing um, HVAC and lighting and all those kind of things, and again, some renovation of the facility itself. So, um, you also have to look at different terms of the bond, right? So. You can do it just like you know when you're doing your house. If you do a lower, a shorter bond or a shorter mortgage, you're going to probably pay more per year or month, but you're going to pay less overall on the end. You know, totally with all the interest and those kinds of things included. Um, the advantage of going to a longer bond or a longer mortgage is it's a lower uh, annual tax impact to folks. But then collectively, you know, as a community, we'll pay more over that. Uh, time frame. So we're looking at all of the options to try to make the best decision, if any, um, as we move ahead. So you can take a look at those on our website. I'll just give a couple of examples. Um, Ellers is our financial analysts, and um, on a 20-year bond, they're estimating a 4.75% interest rate. And so if I owned a $350,000 house on that $60 million, roughly $60 million bond, that tax impact uh, would, in- would increase your taxes by $202 a year, $16.83 per month. If you go for something like um, the the option we've called the reimagine option, if you will, that's you know adding on to the existing facility, demolishing some of the older and less efficient parts of the existing facility, then doing renovation, potentially adding some athletic space. Um, if you looked at that, about $117.5 million estimate. You know, that tax increase on a 20-year bond would be $514 or around $42.83 per month. And I'll just give you what the 30-year looks like on something um, like that. So um, a 30-year on that $117 million, uh, $117.5 million option, that brings the annual increase down to $393 a year or $32.75 per month. Now, if I look at that high end, that 176 million, the you know the brand new school at another site, 
that on a 20-year bond would cost a, a taxpayer of a $350,000 home an additional $825 in taxes uh, in that year or or $68.75 per month. Lots of numbers. If you go to a 30-year on that one, it's $721 or $60.08 per month. Now, again, as I'm describing, there's six different options that we're looking at for a 20-year potential 20-year bond, a potential 25-year bond. And on the 30-year bond, it doesn't make sense to use a 30-year for some of the lower numbers. The point is these are all very preliminary. They're estimates, but they are data for the board and community to be able to say, okay, what do we want to put on the ballot, if anything? How would it impact our taxpayers? There's no question, of course, it increases taxes, right? Um, We did retire the middle school bond uh, just last year, so people did have a little bit of relief from that going off. But again, that gets amalgamated in the rest of your tax bill. And so many people probably with the increase in the valuation of homes throughout the school district and other uh, um, governmental um, increases, you know, they, they may not have seen that directly. So they're not seeing that one for one that, oh, the middle school debt has been paid off, which, mind you, we paid uh, $4 million less for the middle school versus projection over 20 years because we refinanced that debt at least three times, Jeff. So showing good stewardship. That's a lot of numbers. The whole point of it, Jeff, is that we're getting into the details and we want to hear people's feedback. You, know, you look at those uh, interest rates, as you mentioned, 4.75 uh, on the bonding. On the 20-year. Yeah, on the 20-year. Uh, but that, you know, if you look at what our houses are, right now a mortgage is a whole lot more than that. But you, if you look at what bonding was two, three, four years ago, um, you know, we're, t- we're talking closer to two. You got it. Uh, in that. So it, do you see, uh, w- when you're going through these calculations, um, on long-term, the opportunity to refinance and stuff, do you take that in? Do you look at that, take it into consideration? Well, absolutely. And I think that um, we can show the receipts on that because every year we take a look at the debt we have and say, is there a financial advantage to the taxpayer to refinance? When we refinance debt, um, just like you'd refinance your mortgage, in this case, the school district doesn't get the money back. The taxpayer does because we just reduce the annual levy when we refinance the debt at a lower rate. Now, we can't include that in the long-term projections because who has not any idea over the course of 20 or 25 or 30 years what that would be? But we have a history and a demonstrated ability that we refinance when it makes sense. The middle school is the great example. $4 million less total versus what was projected when the bond was passed. And I'm, I'm actually trying to get, I will get the interest rate that we pa- got when we passed the middle school. I'm going to tell you, I'm guessing it's more, it was more than 4.75% mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s. So we have a history of refinancing debt. That's just part of our annual project. Um, but the interest rates are important because, again, a shorter term, 20 years, Ellers, our partners, our financial analyst partners are looking at a 4.75% interest rate. Now, they're also trying to see into the future because Mankato Area Public Schools just a few weeks ago sold over $100 million worth of bonds that were passed by their voters recently for 3.71%. And so um, the bond market is always an interesting place, mm-hmm. but we're trying to be conservative because we would always we would always rather over deliver, right? Uh, you know, you know, under promise and over deliver than have to come back and say, whoops, we, you know, we didn't analyze this quite correctly. You get to a 30 year bond, they're estimating uh, a 5.25% interest rate, 25 year bond, they're estimating a 5%. Now you could, you can go very, you could go for a 23 year bond if you want, or a 22 year bond or a 27 year bond. 
But what we've got on the table right now is just for discussion, right? Here's how we see how these potential six different pathways, and there are obviously potentially more pathways for us to look at, but with these six examples that we're looking at, this is what we think it would cost the taxpayer. And again, I want to remind people that we are the the school districts are the only entity in Minnesota that are required to go to voters for many things beyond what their state funding is, right? Other governmental agencies, those councils or um, boards, they just have more authority than school boards do. So this is all discussion about what even, if anything, to put on the ballot. And once the board decides if they're going to put something on the ballot and what it is, the voters in November, of course, you know, have the ultimate say. So we're trying to do as much community engagement up front. We want to respect the voters. We want to put forward something that both solves the facility problems that we have so that we can better serve students, be good stewards of our facilities, reduce utility costs by you know, updating some of these antiquated systems. Um, and then at the end of the day, the voters have the say. We, we, just, we want to be respectful of what we think the voters um, could support and aligning that with what the needs are. And as you know, we've had a 400 uh, voter phone survey that is complete, and we'll be reporting the results of that to the board at the February 26th meeting. Thoughtful and deliberate, Jeff. Every step, we're just being very methodical so that the community can be engaged with this uh, throughout the entire process. We're talking with Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman, and uh, that you, you touched on my next point, is that you're, you're doing this at a methodical pace, uh, and what is the next step? And the next step is that uh, survey, I'm presuming, for yep. the next meeting. Yeah, the next step is for the board to hear the, more, the results of the Morris Leatherman phone survey. Then on March 5th, um, a little bit of an earlier work session, 4 to 5.59 that day, because that's the presidential primary day, and mm-hmm. we're not allowed to have meetings after you know between 6 and 8 that day, so the board will gather in the district office boardroom that day for this work session. They'll have an opportunity just to focus on the results of those surveys, um, the data that we presented them with the potential tax impact, the you know different pathways, and then... What we're on track for is to be able to have the board make a decision about what pathway to choose, if any, at the March 11th board meeting. Uh, once again, Superintendent Hillman is with us. Uh, let's uh, shift gears. Let's go into, uh, we've got, uh, we're going a little bit over time. Thank you so much for being patient with us and explaining this. Uh, well, I get, this is the second time that I get to sub the, I'm, <laughs> I'm in for Tim McNiff. It's like a lifelong dream to, 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 to substitute for Tim McNiff, now twice. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the legislative session. It got underway yesterday. It's a shorter session this year. It's a bonding year, so uh, whether how much they do and how much they want to tackle in a bonding and election year. We'll have to wait and see. But as far as the educational component of that, what are you keeping your eye on for this legislation? Well, as you said, the second year of a biennium in Minnesota is traditionally very different than the first uh, year of the biennium. By law, the legislature has to adopt a balanced budget. Um, I think it's by June 30th of of that year. Um, And so they don't have anything that they have to do. As you said, I mean, Theoretically, they won't, but theoretically, they could have you know, opened up shop yesterday and closed it today if they wanted to. But, of course, that's not what is happening. So from the education landscape, you know, I've shared with you before the just real heavy lift that we have um, this year and over the next few years to implement the legislation for the 2023 session. So we're working very hard to do that. And as you might imagine, um, even the most well-intended legislation, when you put it into practice, sometimes, you know, has some challenges. So we are giving feedback uh, to our legislators to say, hey, when we're rolling this out in the school, here are some things that, 
maybe aren't working quite as planned, or here are some other concerns that we have or, or items that we would like you to have a, a technical fix on. Uh, I'll give you one example. We've heard a lot about the Minnesota Free Meals Program. In Northfield, we're um, unique in that we run a licensed child care center. Not a ton of school districts across the state run a licensed child care center. We run that at the Northfield Community Education Center, the former Greenvale Park building. It's a first-class early learning center. It includes the early childhood, uh, all the early childhood programming, so it includes the licensed child care center. It includes our preschool and so, you know, if you are someone who attends there five days a week, our staff take your child from the child care center to the preschool. That doesn't happen, you know, in most places. Uh, originally, we had understood that all of those students would be eligible for free meals. Well, then, of course, as they started to really look into the details, they came back and said, no, they would only qualify on the days they attend preschool. Well, we had already told people because that's what we had heard, right? We had mm-hmm. gotten that from the department. Uh, thankfully, we post uh, local local post um, plants stepped in and donated twenty one thousand dollars to be able to make sure that those we could defray the cost of those meals that were supposed to be free that weren't in the end. So great community partnership. But that's a, kind of an example of a technical fix that we're asking from the legislature. I could go through a number of other things. So really, a few things around technical fixes. And then asking them to make sure we we understand there's likely not going to be a supplementary funding bill. We will ask for some additional money on the funding formula because while they made a big improvement in the last session, some really great things, we're still trying to catch up from 20 years of chronic underfunding. And so asking the legislature to continue to invest in that basic formula, um, I, we, we understand that probably uh, won't happen, but it, we just need to advocate for our needs. Uh, the READ Act, we've talked about this. It's just a revolution in how uh, Minnesota schools will teach reading. There was some funding attached to it, but as we're getting into it, clearly not nearly enough to effectively implement it. So that's the kind of advocacy we're going to do for you know a one-time uh, investment. And then, of course, we are still far behind in the special education cross-subsidy. So we've talked about this scores of times. Uh, the special education cross-subsidy is the amount of general fund money that school districts spend to pay for um, required and morally imperative services to students with disabilities that we are not reimbursed for by the state or federal government. So we saw a 44% decrease in that the last time, and we need to just keep moving the ball down the field so that we can get those uh, required and, again, morally imperative services for students with disabilities fully funded. So we'll be advocating at the legislature very different uh, than last year. We have a local legislative action committee. A dozen people showed up on Zoom last Saturday for the orientation, and uh, you know we've had as many as probably thirty or so on that committee over the years. It's if you have an interest, email me. We just simply teach you how to advocate a for and against legislation. We keep you up to date and apprised of where education bills uh, are in the House and Senate, and we just make sure that Northfield's voice is heard. A couple of years ago, we were on a Zoom call at a day at the Capitol. And we were talking about uh, the special education cross-subsidy, and the chair of the House Education Finance Committee says, Northfield, I know where you people stand on this because I've heard from you all a bunch of times, and (laughs) that's what we want, right? We want to make sure that our voice is heard in St. Paul so that we can get the resources that support our students. Seventy percent of our school district funding is directly coming from the state legislature, so it's a big deal for us. 
I want to touch on, we got just a couple more minutes, but I want to touch on something. I'm probably opening a can of worms, but if we can do this in a couple of minutes, the special education program within the Northfield School District has changed you know, over the course of the recent maybe five years or so. You've had some partnerships with other uh, other school districts and such. How is that going now? Is it, and a lot of that was to control uh, prices and mm-hmm. spending and such. How is that going now? So you're really talking about the Cannon Valley Special Education Cooperative, which is a consortium of four school districts, the Northfield School District, Faribault, Owatonna, and Medford. And we come together at a facility in Faribault um, to be able to provide services to some of our students with our with their greatest needs. Um, students at uh, that facility can also get education by law up to age 22. And so that's a, a really big deal to help um, students with disabilities be able to get that additional training for uh, just you know life skills and the workforce and things like that. It's been going well overall. Um, what we've been you know where we don't have the staffing issues here in the Northfield Public Schools, we we have staffing issues, but we've been very fortunate to have quality special educators fill the vast majority of our positions. Um, the Cannon Valley Special Education Cooperative. Is, is has got five positions that have been unfilled this year. So that means there are less students who can participate, uh, but we're using that to the best of our ability. They've got a great executive director, Sarah McGuire, does a phenomenal job. When we talk to families who use those services, they're thrilled with the services that their students are getting, and it is doing it at, at a it is providing those services at a more efficient rate than we could all do on our own. So we are so pleased to be members of the Cannon Valley Special Education Cooperative. Uh, we had done some cooperating with uh, Faribault for a number of years, and then we're able to expand that probably eight years ago now. So I think overall that is going well. Uh, we have more needs to uh, be served by SEVSEC than they have slots for. That's across all four districts. And that will continue as we continue to work to make sure we can hire quality staff there. That will expand the number of students who can participate. Matt, any final thoughts uh, for our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, I just, again, thanks to <laughs> KYMN for all of your support of our community, you know, the partnership with Northfield Live and just showcasing the things, you know, the weightlifting, you know, meet on Saturday being um, broadcast. I mean, just we just so appreciate the way that you are uh, amplifying our students and our student athletes real great work. And thanks for giving us the time here today. Well, thank you.